We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to answer the question of the old Christmas carol, What Child Is This? In other words, who is that baby in the manger? Is the story of Christmas real, or is it merely a feel-good fable? A little bit wishful thinking. You know, the opiate of the masses, those who prefer a fairy tale to reality. Or is this story true? I'm Dr. Ever Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks for listening into the show. All right, today's topic is the old Christmas carol, What Child Is This? Who is Jesus? Who is the baby in the manger? Is the story of Christmas real, true, and right? Or is it just a fairy tale, a feel-good fable story of those who need some drug to make us feel better about the lostness, the uselessness of our daily existence? The opiate of the masses, as the communist leaders told us. What's real? What does history tell us? What did the original church think? Those that had a lot to lose, like their lives, like their heads. Those that suffered the persecution of Nero, for example, that were given over to the lions in the Colosseum, that were put on pikes and lit as candles in the streets. The great persecution of killing all the Christians because they were the problem, you know, those followers of Christ. They made up this fake religion. Why did they die for it? Well, what did those leaders actually write down and what did they say? Who did they believe Christ is? That's today's show. I'm going to use the Christmas carol, What Child Is This, as the context. That great question, the question of all time. Let's take a break, and when I get back, I'm going to play a beautiful rendition of that hymn, that Christmas carol, by Andra Bocelli. What Child Is This? It was performed at the Kodak Theater here in the United States just a handful of years ago in 2009. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. 
And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance, and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Welcome back to The Rebellion. As I said, I'd like to start out this part of the show by playing this excellent, probably one of the best renditions of What Child Is This? by Andrea Bocelli, accompanied by Mary Blige. Listen to the question and then the answers in these lyrics.
Incredible. A live performance in the Kodak Theater 2009. Andrea Bocelli, accompanied by Mary J. Blige. What child is this? So, again, the question. That's a question that's echoed through the ages. What child is this? And the way the lyrics are constructed in that song, there's a question and then there's a response. The question is, what child is this? And then there's a response. And that response is very clear. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. The question is clear. Who is this child? Who is this babe? And the answer is equally clear. It resonates throughout the corridors of history. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. But the question again, is this just an interesting tale? Is this an inspiring story? Or is it true? Was the story of Christ, like I said at the beginning, Mary, merely a story of one, uh, a moral exemplar, a good teacher, an inspiring sage, a, a, a cynic, a philosopher, a prophet, a zealot, a feminist, a social critic? Who was Christ? Who is Jesus? That's the question of the ages. What child is this? That's the question for today. Well, let's go to the original writers of the New Testament, those that actually walked with Christ, those that wrote to the first century Christians, those that had everything to lose, their lives, their livelihood, their families, their sons, their daughters, their careers, their homes, their heads. They lost everything. They gave everything for this message. They believed it. This wasn't just a fairy tale. Why would they do that? Well, listen to the affirmation of, let's take the Apostle Paul first, when he writes to the Colossians, the epistle to the Colossians. Paul says this, This child, this babe, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and by him all things hold together. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Close quote. What's Paul saying? This child is God. He's the firstborn. He's the creator of everything, heaven and earth. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. He holds everything together. He goes on in the book of Hebrews. Now, I know some will dispute whether or not Paul wrote Hebrews, but the church has canonized the book of Hebrews since the early days, and they accept it as an accurate historical recording of who Jesus is. So in the book of Hebrews, it says this, that Jesus is the heir of all things, Through him all was created. He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, who laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of his hands. Again, it's pretty clear. Jesus is God, not just an interesting sage or a political activist or some cranky prophet. No, they're claiming he's God. We have to wrestle with this. We have to admit this. You can't make up a different story. This is the story the first church, the definers of Christianity, gave us. What does Peter say? Peter says that Jesus was foreknown before the foundations of the world. What did Doubting Thomas say? The guy who doubted whether or not Jesus was even real. He wouldn't believe the stories 
the stories that the other apostles were telling about Christ's resurrection until he was able to see him himself and put his fingers in the wounds and his hand in his side. Uh, Doubting Thomas, when he actually saw Christ, said, My Lord and my God, not good teacher, not rabbi, he called him God. Jude tells us that Jesus is God our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. The book of Revelation records this, that Jesus himself says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty, the first and the last, the living one who died and is alive forevermore, who holds the keys of death and Hades. We're told over and over again who Jesus is. The book of John, the Apostle John, one of the other disciples, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Pretty clear, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God. This child is God. The babe in the manger was the Word become flesh and dwelling among us. Emmanuel, God is with us. So what child is this? What's the answer to the question that leads this Christmas carol, one that we've all heard over and over again? Beautiful rendition today by Andrea Bocelli. What child is this? A zealot? A feminist? A social critic? A liar? A lunatic? No, as C.S. Lewis says. He's neither. He's Lord. That's what the first century church passed on to us. We just can't make up a new story. We can't redefine Christianity in our own liking. The definition of Christianity is this. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. This child is the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Root of David, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This child is the Lamb without blemish. This babe in the manger is the Son of Man, the Son of Mary, the Son of God. He is the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. He is the heir of all things. Without him was not anything made that was made. This child, this babe in a manger, this Jesus Christ that we hear about and read about, upholds the universe by the power of his word. He is the holy and true one. These are all quotes from the Bible, folks. This is where I'm getting this stuff. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His voice is like the roar of many waters. His face is like the sun shining in full strength. He is the one with a sharp two-edged sword. He is the Lion of Judah, the Living One, who died and is alive forevermore. He is Emmanuel, God with us, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. For us and our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate, and fully became human. That's from the creeds. That's what the first Christians codified, based on the scriptures that I've read to you and many others. At the end of days, he will come to judge the living and the dead. He's not just a kindly uncle in the sky that wishes a good time be had by all, 
to paraphrase C.S. Lewis. No, he's the judge of the end of days. He'll judge. He will judge the quick and the dead. He holds the keys to death and Hades. Notice it doesn't say the keys to heaven, even though that's true. That verse says the keys to death and Hades. He's going to judge the living and the dead. He holds the keys to hell. But he's promised us that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church because he can lock those gates. The promise that you can take to the bank is that hell does not win. If you believe that this child is exactly who the disciples told us he is. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary, the king of kings. Salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. That's back to the the Christmas carol that Bocelli sang. I'm going to say it again. Haste, haste to bring him laud. The babe, the son of Mary, the king of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Now, C.S. Lewis told us that if Christianity is false, it is of no importance. But if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Close quote, C.S. Lewis. One more time. Hear that one. Christianity, he said, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing, said C.S. Lewis, it cannot be, is moderately important. Take the word Christianity out of C.S. Lewis's quote and just put Christ in there rather than Christianity. Christ, if false, is of no importance. But Christ, if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing that Jesus Christ, this child, this babe, cannot be, is moderately important. You know his old, I referred to it a few seconds earlier, C.S. Lewis's old axiom. Jesus Christ is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. He's either the greatest liar of all time, and he's duped millions and millions of people for 2,000 years to believe a story that's just garbage. He lied. Called himself all of these things, said, I'm the great I am. Convinced people to write about him upon his death and say that he was eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to Father, to the Father, get into heaven, but by him. Either that was all a lie, or he wasn't really lying, because you can't be lying if you're a lunatic, because you don't know. So Lewis's axiom was this, Jesus is, is, the, is either the grandest liar of all time, or he was a crazy man, a lunatic. He thought he was God, just like somebody today walking the streets claiming to be Jesus. They're crazy. They're nuts. They, design, they, do, they, they belong in, a, in an asylum. They don't belong on the streets. They're dangerous to themselves and to others. So either Jesus was a liar or a lunatic, or Lewis said there's a third option. He's the Lord. He's who he claimed to be. Well, apparently the people that were with him were willing to give their lives. Peter was hung upside down on a cross. He was crucified on a cross upside down because he wouldn't 
except being crucified upright because he didn't want to dishonor his Lord by being executed in the same fashion as Christ. Paul was beheaded by the Romans. It's said that some of the apostles were boiled in oil. Others were sawn asunder. They were cut in half. Some were filleted. They had their skin peeled back as they were tortured and put to death. Many of the first century Christians, as I said earlier, were put on pikes in the streets of Rome and lit on fire and used as candles for illumination in the evening. You know of the old stories of Christians being taken into the Colosseum and other arenas and used as entertainment as wild beasts killed them and ate them to the crowd's applause. Why in the world would all of these people allow this to happen to them? Oh, you say, well, today, people that follow false religions, they will commit suicide. Harry Carey martyrdom for the sake of their false faith. The Japanese did that when they attacked Pearl Harbor. The Muslims did that when they attacked the Twin Towers. But here's the difference. Yeah, people will give their lives for a lie if they don't know that it's a lie. They'll give their lives to a fake religion if they don't know it's fake. If they think it's true, they might give their lives for it. But if they walked and talked with Muhammad, for example, and they knew that the stories that were being perpetuated later on were false, that people were claiming that Muhammad rose from the grave, which nobody ever has, but if they were claiming that, but yet his early disciples knew that that wasn't true, do you think his early disciples would have given their lives for that lie that they knew was a lie? No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have. And in the case of the first Christians, Peter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jude, James, they knew whether this was true or not. They would not have given their lives for something that they absolutely knew was false. They wouldn't have given their lives for a fable. Wishful thinking, opiate, just to make them feel better. You don't feel all that much better when you're being put on a pike and being burned alive. You don't feel all that much better when your head's being cut off or when you're being crucified. One of the most excruciating things we're told that can happen to a human being. No, they gave their lives because they believed that this, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. King of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Christianity of false is of no importance, but if it's true, it's of infinite importance. And these people thought it was, and they passed on this history, this legacy, this writing that's been confirmed over and over again through the course of, through the course of, Western civilization, the advance of the goodness that the gospel has brung to civilization, of peace on earth, goodwill toward men, of us actually living together rather than killing each other. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing that cannot be said about Christianity is that it's moderately important. The same thing is said of Christ. I'm going to tell you one more time. What these followers of Christ told us is that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Root of David, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the Lamb without blemish, the Son of Man, the Son of Mary, the Son of God. Jesus is the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. He is the heir of all things. Without him was not anything made that was made. 
He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the holy and true one. This is what they are saying. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm reading it directly from the Bible, people. We're told in Scripture that his eyes are like a flame of fire. His voice is like the roar of many waters. Where did that come from? The book of Revelation. As the apostle John actually sat with the resurrected Lord as he revealed to him the last words that he wanted canonized in the Bible. His face is like the shining of the sun in full strength. He is the one with the two-edged sword, the sharp sword that will come to judge the living and the dead at the end of days. He is the one that holds the seven stars, the seven churches, the churches, the body of Christ. Jesus holds them in his hand. He's the Lion of Judah, the living one who died and is alive forevermore. He's Emmanuel, God with us. For in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. Eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. For us, our salvation, he came down from heaven. And he was an incarnate baby, the incarnate God, triune God, second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, became fully human. At the end of days, he'll come. He will be our judge. Like I said, the paraphrase of C.S. Lewis, he's not a kindly old uncle who is a bit senile in the sky and just wishes a good time be had by all. Big group hug, kumbaya, many paths up the mountain, glad you're here. Welcome in. No, that's not the message of the gospel. He said the exact opposite. For wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads unto heaven. And that narrow gate is Christ himself. He says he is the gate. You must enter through him. He holds the keys to death and Hades, and he's promised. He's promised to protect us and guard us. We're secure in him. If... We turn to him and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Pretty simple. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. And he promised us that once we enter in through the gate, that he protects us and the gates of hell. Hell itself cannot and will not, will never prevail against his church. He wins. You win. We live in crazy times. Times where we're asking all sorts of questions. And many people are disparaging the idea of Jesus Christ right now. Disparaging Christmas. You can't even say Merry Christmas any longer. That's bigoted. That's unkind to others who don't believe in Christmas, we're told. Well, that's perhaps the first chink in the armor in the culture wars. If we give up the story of Christmas, if we stop asking, what child is this? If we stop answering that he is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. If we stop singing that story and telling of the gospel and the way we live our daily lives and the way we engage, not just at Christmas time, but in every day as we go about our business on the sidewalks, in our, in our places of work. If we stop doing that, then we're going to lose that salt and that light that shines in the darkness. 
but the darkness comprehends it not. That doesn't make the light unreal. It means we're just walking blind if we ignore the answer to the question of who is this man called Jesus. As Downing Thomas said, the answer is pretty clear. He's our Lord and our God. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.